Hi, I'm Matt Cap, the lead artist on uh, Binding of Isaac Rebirth and the creator of Castle in Darkness, and I listen to the One Up podcast. OUG Talks, yeah, OUG Talks, news and chat that really rocks. It's OUG Talks, yeah, OUG Talks. And we're here, it's One Up Gaming, it's me, David. And this week we've got another special guest. So if you would just like to introduce yourself and just say what do you do, please. Yeah, hello. Um, I'm Nick Baines. I'm studio head at Dungeon Games. Uh, we've just released our new game, Auto Warriors, on the App Store for iPhones and iPads. And yeah, I, I um, run the studio, kind of give creative direction, and um, yeah, I'm involved in most of the aspects of making the game. So, the game itself, I mean, I've downloaded it and I've had a quick go. Mm. I mean, unfortunately, mm. Friday's a bad day for me because I finish at half six in the morning, I get home, and I basically sleep through the whole day just about. <laughs> um, so, I managed to get... I, I got past the like the tutorial bit. Yeah. And I will say it's different. <laughs> I mean... I'm one of these people that I hate virtual buttons and sticks yeah. on touchscreens. Mm. So I think doing it like a turn-based sort of style where you drag where you want the car to go, I think that is a inspired decision. Well, we um, yeah, so we, we tried we tried quite a few different control mechanics. So just to explain uh, to anyone listening how the game works, uh, it's a vehicle combat game. And each battle lasts three minutes, and it's your car versus either one car or many other cars. Um, and what you do, you plan your move, and then you press uh, the play button, and then the next two seconds of the battle plays out, and then you can plan your next move and which weapons you want to equip, and you can press play and continue, and it carries on like that for either three minutes or until you've defeated your opponents or they've defeated you. Um, the reason we went with the controls, which, like you say, what we've done, you move a reticule around the screen, and that is where your car is aiming. Um, and the game plots out a line representing the path the car's going to take, and that's under physics, so you can't do you know ridiculous corners or drive through buildings or anything like that. Um, and then, yeah, then you, when you press play, it proceeds. And what's quite cool, because it's under real physics, uh, there's momentum that's carried on from one turn to another. So if you're going fast at the end of the first turn, then the subsequent turn, you're going to be continuing at that speed or and, and continue, continuing to accelerate. Um, and the reason we went with that, really, was just the fact that we were quite keen to uh, make the game turn-based, because we thought that would be... Uh, more suited to mobile play. I mean, in terms of, there are a lot of games out there that are Twitch shooters uh, with you know dual controls, dual dual stick, you know, virtual stick controls. And um, you know, we felt we felt we wanted to do something a little bit different. And so, really, the goal was, you know, taking some of the elements of you know, a game like an XCOM or something like that on, on a PC or console. And mass, obviously massively simplifying it, but getting it to work on, on a mobile device whilst also keeping 
you know, the visual spectacle and excitement of a real-time vehicle combat game. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny you said it's different. Um, the feedback we've had from a lot of people is that it's unique and there's nothing else out there like it, um, which hopefully is a good thing. And, um, yeah, people will persevere with it and, 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 well, and, pick, and pick it up and, and really get to enjoy it. Yes, I mean, it's a free-to-play game, so people... They've got not nothing really, you know. It's not as if you're going to have to pay two, three pound to download it. But hopefully, people will pick it up and, and give it at least five minutes just to give it a try. Yeah, I mean that's obviously the the, uh, the beauty of, of free to play, and um, you know we've deliberately designed the game so there's no sudden brick walls that you hit where you know you can't continue without spending. You can certainly. You know, play the game and enjoy it without spending a penny. I'd prefer it if people did spend money, but uh, we we don't. We haven't got anything in there which kind of forces you to. And um, I mean, it's definitely the challenge with making something that's got a new control method because you know, people, players, but just I think just generally human nature, uh, people are sometimes reluctant for things which are new and different. And also, you want them to persevere. And what makes it even more challenging um, on the App Store and on mobile is that obviously we've got the tutorial, like you said, that you've played. And the tutorial, in some ways, is quite different to the actual game. But it, we had to introduce each aspect of the controls one by one, and, and we iterated on that a lot and went from really um, long, deep tutorials that went on for ten minutes on and off. So very, very brief ones, and we've tried to find the one that works best. But, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think being unique, once you, can est- once you can communicate it and establish what's unique about the game and why it's cool, then I think you know, it's a great thing. So hopefully, uh, we, only, we only launched yesterday, uh, 7th of uh, July, and hopefully um, yeah, people are going to give us a go. Like you say, it's free to download, so what have you got to lose? Absolutely, no- absolutely nothing. Yeah, because, I mean, I'll be honest... I'm a very poor person and I had to get the a phone which I would never recommend. It was an iPhone 6 Plus or whatever the hell it is. Mm. But I could only afford the 16 gig version. Right. And basically because I work nights, I listen to podcasts throughout the night. So that takes up 3 or 4 gig of data. And then the OS takes up about 9 or 10 gig. So I mean, I'm I'm left with like a not much to use. Mm. So I'm very, I don't actually like paying for games on my phone because I know for a fact that I'll play it for like ten minutes, then I'll have to delete it. It's, it's interesting, actually. It's also a challenge that when you're making a game, you know, like ours and like a lot of the the, the, the new big games that come out, you know, the visuals look great and you know it sounds great but all these assets take up space so it's that balance between trying a game that looks really good that people are going to want to play but also not making it so that it takes up a few gigs so um you know it's a constant battle in terms of the, the, the space it takes but um yeah because i mean i think the game when i was downloading it said about 800 and something megabytes yeah, so that's 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 how much space it takes up on the disc. I mean, there's, there's actually two things you've got to consider when you're developing these things. The, the first thing is the download size, because obviously that has implications for people because of the uh, 
you know, how they're going to download it. And then once it's downloaded, it then decompresses and takes up more space. So as it's something like 480 meg download and 870 or whatever it is once it's installed. But that's after a lot of trimming and uh, make it, making things as uh, efficient as they can be. But yeah, it's a challenge. I think every game, every game has it. And, you know, a lot of the new big games come in at like a couple of gig, like you say. So if you've not got much space, you, you, people end up deleting them. So, you know, we have to try and make games that you want to keep on your phone. So, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we've done that. Yeah, because, I mean, I've had a, a, a few racing games on my phone. Was it Chase, Hor- Horizon Chase? Ooh. And I loved that. But unfortunately, I need to listen to something during my work, and that had to go. So, but that's why I like free-to-play games. You know, like, it's, as you say, you can just download it, and you're not worried about what, it's going to take up and you don't feel bad deleting it because you, you can always re-download it, but you're not chucking three, four pound at something and you might never, ever play it, basically. Mm. So, this is the new game by you guys and I think it's just came out, I don't even know what date it is now, The did it come out? I guess the iOS, it's Thursdays that come out, isn't it? Yeah, it came out, oh, it was officially launched yesterday on the 7th of July, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, when I was looking at your picture on here, I, I just assumed that you'd been in the industry for quite a while. Either that or you've had a load of kids and you've pulled all your hair out. <laughs> What are you on about? I'm, I'm, I'm way too young to have been in the industry for as long as I have, yeah. So, when did you first professionally enter the games development scene? Yeah, well, I've been in the industry for, this is my 24th or 25th year, so it was 92 that I started. Um, I started out at Probe Software, um, which was one of the bigger, or one, you know, one of the big UK developers back in the day, doing lots of licensed games um we did well when i joined we just released mortal Kombat on the home consoles uh my first game was was jelly boy uh which was uh no one's really heard of that but anyway it's quite a fun little game uh i did the level design on and then i stayed at probe uh for for a long time and then we got we got bought by acclaim um which was great and that acclaim i was one of the lead designers on forsaken which was a pc Kind of first person space shoot 'em up. Um, like a little dis- bit like, like Descent. Like Descent, exactly. Yeah. It was a little bit like Descent. Obviously, we'd never seen Descent when we designed it. That's obviously the case. Um, and then after that, I was uh, the producer and uh, one of the designers on Revolt, the radio controlled car racing game. That was uh, actually uh, quite good. It's funny, it's that, that came out in 1999 and there's still. Uh, you can get it on mobile, can't you? You can. I actually did the uh, my, my my last company. Actually, we did the port on of the first game on iOS. Yeah, so we actually uh, took it was our code that we then ported <laughs> ported across. You know, fifteen years later, but there's still an active community doing, um, you know, making new cars and making new tracks for it. So it's amazing that that's you know we're we're what we're seventeen years later and people are still. In fact, it is this September. It's the seventeenth anniversary of when it came out, which is just crazy. Um, I, I definitely. De- can't be that old. It's very, very weird to think about that. 
And then, yeah, and after, after that, I joined, um, well, I, I helped, I was one of the founder, founding directors of uh, Climax Racing in Brighton, uh, where I was development director, and over the years, we worked on mainly racing games, uh, probably we were best known for the MotoGP series on Xbox, and then we did ATV Fury 3 and 4 on a PlayStation for Sony, and then after that, we got bought by Disney, and I was game director on Split Seconds on console again, so basically up until this point, everything I'd done had been console or PC. And then in 2011, I set up a company called Big Bit, and we worked on, we did a lot of mobile games over a few years, and we, we worked on uh, with various toy companies doing games that worked with the toys on the actual iPads, which was really cool, and we did a few other games, like we did Snowman for Channel 4, so we were doing some quite casual stuff. Um, just as I was leaving, we finished up a game called Race Team Manager, which came out on mobile a couple of years ago. And then I left and was uh, one of the founders here at, uh, at Gungeon, where we started on Auto Warriors. And now, 20 months later or whatever it is, the game's out in the App Store. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that was 25 years in five minutes. But uh, that's, that's, where, that's where I came from. So, going, I guess, climax sort of racing... Mm. Um, I've literally just written a review a couple of weeks ago for the the Valentino Rossi. I saw it on yes. website, yeah. And I did actually make mention of the climax MotoGP games. I spotted that. Yeah, <laughs> you've got good taste. And I will say, I still think those climax games were probably still are the best MotoGP games still ever. Well, that, that, that's, that's really nice of you to say so, and I think what, what really helped with that was, um, I mean, I wasn't uh, directly on that team, I was a development director of the studio, so I was involved with it all the way, but I can't take credit for, uh, for, you know, for, the, for the nitty-gritty of the game, because there there's a team dedicated to that, and what actually, I think, made it such a fun game was that the actual team that made the most GP, they were pretty much the old, I don't know if you remember a game called Extreme G on the uh, N64. Yes. That was quite but, fun as well. But it was pretty. It was the core of the Extreme G team were the MotoGP team, and so things like um, when you tuck the driver in by uh, by pushing forward on the joypad to make yourself go faster, we had a lot of motion blur going on on the screen, and there was a real sensation of speed. And I think that you know the um, the contrast between doing that and you know you can't really turn too well when you're doing that but it feels really fast and the contrast between that and then having to slow down obviously at the break points to take the corners um, was a really nice balance and I think the other thing I think worked really well with the old MotoGP games and you know, I'm pretty well I'm really proud of this it's one of the things I was involved with was um, we did away with the concept of um, having the brake set up in an option screen so previous bike games had front and rear bike, front and rear brakes or combined brakes, and you could normally switch between the two from the option screen somewhere. And we actually put both methods on the same joypad uh, config, which meant that I think we introduced a lot of non-bikers to the concept of front and rear bike brakes because they were able to try them out on a corner. If it didn't work, you just go back to pressing the combined brakes. So I think it's funny. I think you know it's a very slick game. It's a very focused game. Uh, I think the console background and the arcade background of the team really helped make it fun and feel polished. And um, it was interesting. I mean, a lot, a lot of the team when they started that game weren't big bikers at all. But by the end of it, a couple had gone out and 
gone out and bought their their bikes and, their, and you know would turn up in their leathers in the morning after riding in. So it was quite a, um, quite an intense couple of years for that team, and, and they did a great job. And you know, we were one of the first games on Xbox Live, so that was really cool as well. Uh, so yeah, definitely, I'd, I, I'm really proud to have been involved at Climax that time and, and had a, played a part in that game, just because I think definitely, yeah, it's, it's one of the one of one of the classic old racing games, certainly from the bike from from a bike racing point of view. And I just wondered, did you have anything to do with Pure? Uh, I was in the studio at the time, and um, but not directly. You know, that was what, when um, when BlackRock was formed uh, after Disney bought Climax Racing. We pretty much had two teams, and there were almost two mini studios within the studio. And so I was at the time finishing off with my team, MotoGP 07. And then after that, we moved on to Split Second, uh, while meanwhile the other team were doing Pure. So I was involved insofar as I was in the studio. We'd do like peer reviews and that kind of stuff, but that, was, that wasn't my baby, you know. But it was also a great game. Yeah, it's, I think it, at, at the time I remember reading a lot of press and there wasn't much hype about it. And then as soon as it came out, everyone was just like, it is so much fun. Mm. You know, they're actually amazed at how just fun the game was. It and... was. And again, I, I, th- I, think, um, I think with a lot of the games we did over that period, it was just a very slick and polished and things just felt right. And there's a certain quality that is very hard to put your finger on. I mean, I think obviously games like Burnout have it and, and you know, the, the, a lot of the... With a with racing game, it's it's all about that. Um, you almost want the player to forget about the fact what they're doing on the joypad. You need to lose yourself and be immersed in the action so you can just like totally be, um, you know, engulfed by the fun of the speed or the tricks or the, the awe moment, you know, the awe uh, of the game or whatever. And... Um, and I think, yeah, Pure absolutely nailed it. It was great fun. So Obviously, was, Split Second was better. I was just my, about that, to say... That's my game, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, they're both great games. So then, Split Second. Mm. Whose idea was it to add the subtitle and then take it off just before release of... Was it Velocity? Velocity or something? Uh, that wasn't the dev team, I can assure you. Because <laughs> you had that... I know, it, was, it, it was never actually called that. The, the thing was, in America, it was always called Split Second, and in Europe, they called it Split Second Velocity. So I believe it did come out called Split Second Velocity, but um, pretty much now, certainly, well, in the rest of the world, it was just Split Second. Yeah, because I, I remember at the time, it was like Split Second, then it had the Velocity mm. sort of like written, and then when the actual game came out, I think within all the title menus, they'd removed... It was just split second. Oh yeah, in the game it was never going to be called. Uh, yeah, it was only ever going to be on the box. Yeah, because I had control. I had total control <laughs> of the game. So, <laughs> so if people aren't aware, there was two big arcade races that came out practically. Was it like a mm-hmm. week apart? I think same same day. Was it same day at the end? Yeah. Because I mean, one was Blur, mm-hmm. which. I mean, I love Bizarre Creations. I think Project Gotham Racing is one of the all-time great arcade races. Yeah, I agree. Um, I didn't quite like PGR 4, but yeah. But 3 and 2 were absolutely amazing games. And I think they went for 
the advertising basically said it's Mario Kart for grown-ups. Yeah. I honestly thought it felt more like a Wipeout sort of game, but that was me. Um, But your game, Split Second, <clears throat> it was... To me, it felt like the sort of the burnout, sort of the handling and the feel. Yeah. But with a lot more background, spectacular sort of like set pieces. Yeah, well, I mean, that was really the uh, the goal. I mean, I'm, I'm a massive burnout fan. Uh, we ended up actually having a few of the burnout team, the burnout paradise team, working on split second as well. But, you know, the, the kind of, uh, the, the, the very original concept for Split Second was done, we came up with it in about 2005. And, um, we was, you know, we wanted to try and do something that was unique in a racing game. And, you know, so obviously Burnout is all about the crashes and the takedowns and, and speed. And um, it just felt like the natural thing was to, if, if someone else in Burnout had nailed the car crashes, we thought, why don't we try to go at the environments? And um, so that was really the goal, take you know, that kind of classic arcade fast-paced racing and, and layer something on top. And, um, yeah, I'm really proud, proud of the results. And I think it, it didn't get the sales, I think, in my opinion, it deserved. I think it was difficult. I mean, obviously, we came out the same day as Pure, and a lot of people in the press at the time um, – focused on that quite a bit but do you know what I don't think that affected things actually too much I think the big thing was we both came out on the same day as Red Dead Redemption which I think sold something like 8 million copies in the first weekend so clearly there was 8 million people that <laughs> weren't going to be going and buying either of our games on that day so um, but yeah I think uh, it was uh, it was a fun game to work on and that is ambitious and I think we just about pulled it off yeah I mean, for me, although I loved Blur, I still think the beginning sequence with the, the that Western-style music mm. is absolutely breathtaking to watch. And, I mean, that's me, I'm, I'm stupid. I, I actually just sit and watch, even now, I'll go back and I'll watch all Sega Saturn like, games and just watch the intros and stuff. But... I just didn't think it had the, the the handling. It just didn't quite feel right. Whereas for me, Split Second, I actually played it and I can honestly say in the 360 generation, I think it was one of the best races, period. Thank you. That's, um, that's nice to hear. I think... I think what we tried to do with Split Second was from the very first race make you feel like you're driving fast and it was exciting and the whole point was it wasn't, you know, we were turned up to 11 from the very first race. You know, the cars started off fast and the action started off big and we went from there. I think Blur possibly, just in my opinion, I think they maybe started... um, a little bit too slow paced and you had to level up and you know, unlock the cars um, <clears throat> before you got the faster ones and un, you know un- unleash some of the funk so later you know later on in the game I thought it was really fast paced and exciting and maybe maybe it's a little bit slow to get there but uh, but yeah you know I, I think you know uh, my opinion and also I, I, I was involved with this and I designed it so I'm obviously biased but I do think 
the first time you see that plane crash landing towards you on the runway in split second, in my opinion, is one of the defining moments of, uh, well, racing games ever, to be honest. I'm quite proud of it. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with that. And It was fun at E3 seeing everyone's reaction when they saw it for the first time, in particular because it was a Disney game on Disney stand and we were <laughs> crashing, crashing a plane on a runway, which was uh, I don't think people were expecting. I mean, do you think, knowing what Disney's like now, do you think that might have had a, a sort of, did they put full marketing behind it, in your opinion, or? Oh, yeah, no, totally, they, they absolutely did. Um, I think possibly they marketed it in the wrong way, um, in that some of the things, it's all, it's all, it all varies from different from territory to territory. Every, you know, every region's got their own marketing budgets. I and mean, I think there were some things like, for example, we had, um, we had a, a uh, I think a 30 seconds TV commercial in the finale or the penultimate episode of Lost in America, which was a really, really big deal and cost lots of money. Um, and I think it was good to report to Bob Iger in various meetings that he might have had, but I think in truth, I'm not sure how many sales that would have resulted in, and the money could probably have been spent better, better elsewhere. But in terms of the effort they put behind it and the money they put behind it, they absolutely backed it. And um, no, they, they were um, because because we created the story and the context that it was all a TV show and it was all fake and it was always stuntmen. They were Disney were absolutely fine with it. So um, so yeah, they, they they got behind it. And I mean, I don't know how accurate this is, but I heard that Split Second 2 was basically, was in the early stages of being started and it just never happened. Uh, no, well, we were six months into it. Oh, right. <laughs> Split Seconds, well, it, it was never officially greenlit. We were kind of working on it a little bit without, without, without officially working on it. But we had, the, we had a team of about 40 people on it. Um, and uh, I don't know if you got to the end of Split Second, but yes. we actually finished it with a cliffhanger, which yes. I don't think a racing game has ever done before, which I was quite proud of. And um, the the sequel, it was good fun. You know, the, the, the sequel was split between traditional racing, like the first game, except the, the backstory of Split Second was that the show had actually originally started in the 1970s. So... The racing episodes that were like the first game were all set at various times from the 70s and 80s onwards, so with quite you know unique cars and um, and settings. And then the other half of the game was effectively away from being in front of the camera and the TV show, and was all about you trying to escape from the set in the aftermath of what happened at the end of Split Second One. And it actually included uh, power boats and helicopters and even on foot sections. Um, <laughs> But still, with the whole power play mechanics, you'd be running around on foot or or in, in your speed boat and, and, tr- and triggering things. And we had it all prototyped, and it was um, it was going to work. But um, but obviously, Disney changed their policy, and ironically, given uh, the <laughs> the game that I've just released and where the industry's gone, but the reason they they stopped Split Second Two and Pure Two and games like that, because Pure Two was getting made as well, um, was because Disney were going free to play and mobile only. So. So it's funny how it's all turned out, really. Yeah, but I think Disney, they've chopped and changed a few times over the last sort of 10 years. They have, and um, I mean, I think the, the direction they're taking now is probably the best one for them, to be honest, whereby 
they're going to license where it looks like they're going to focus on licensing out their properties. So for example, EA doing Star Wars and, um, and things like that, because I think that way you're going to get a publisher like an EA who's committed to doing, you know, that they are all about games. So they're going to put their money and their resources and their best teams behind the big licenses and Disney can focus on what they do best, which is, uh, you know, creating these big brands and, um, and making these movies and, and that, that kind of stuff. So yeah. I think hopefully, hopefully they find their, they found their, their, their footing now and their focus, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if in a year's time they go back to console development and then change it all over again. Cause Disney have definitely, um, changed, changed course a couple of times over the years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is quite crazy when you think, I mean, they can get rid of all the internal studios so they can like basically just wipe three, five hundred people straight out. Mm. Keep a, a core team of say twenty people, and they're just the people going to publishers. Say we've got this license, this license, this license, and so they're getting guaranteed income, and they have none of the risks. Mm. So, but you've got to say from their point of view, why yeah. would you do that? You know? Yeah, it makes perfect sense, but it's not great for the people who. You know, I've given like twenty years to you know, like some of the Disney teams, and yeah, it's it's, it's not great for the people. But I think the one thing that I've learned is, I mean, when you know the Disney teams generally, and I think you know, to be honest, get game development on the whole. But the Disney teams, the guys at Avalanche, uh, obviously the guys at Black Rock, and everyone else around the world at the various uh, Disney studios over the years have been really high quality people, and I think. It's you know good good quality game developers tend to get work and they tend to be able to either start things themselves or go and work at other high profile companies and uh, you know people have ended up at Ubisoft and EA and Activision and all places like that and you know, Infinity Ward and places like that, but as well as starting up their own companies. I mean, when BlackRock went down, there were 140 people I think in that final year of BlackRock, and from those 140 people. Uh, in Brighton, there were 18 studios set up from it, and, and, um, and most of them are still going, and some of them have made some quite big games, and so, you know, it's, the, these things, when it happens, it's horrible for the people involved, but I think generally, things normally turn out, turn out alright in the end, however painful and horrible it is at the time. Yeah, it's just, it's, it is quite sad to see, I mean, it's a, uh... A regular occurrence at the mm. moment. You know, a lot of people get laid off, and there's a lot of indie studios start up, and then. Yeah. I think it always has been like this. Though. I think the best thing now is that we have got things like Unity, and we have got things like mobile, where people can start their own companies and can be indies. Because you know, games used to get cancelled all the time, and um, back in those days, there was you know, I'm going back ten, fifteen years here, but. There was, you know, you had nothing. You you couldn't really start your own company because you'd need to get a dev kit from Sony or Nintendo or Microsoft. And back in those days, they'd be charging you ten, fifteen thousand dollars for the dev kit, let alone your, um, you know, the cost of your staff and the and the rent and all that kind of stuff. So these days, anyone can be a developer with a with a PC and mobile phone. So there's a lot more opportunity for people that do get laid off. Like I say, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not suggesting it's not a horrible thing to happen to people, but I think it's. it's it's not as, as depressing as it maybe once was just because there are options, but it's still not, not a very good thing to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, we're good friends with John Hare, mm. and he's always uh, probably the same opinion as me, where back in like the Mega Drive and SNES days, because you had to buy, or the publisher had to have like a couple of thousand cartridges made up, mm. you basically were almost guaranteed of a certain quality of the game. You know, because it's, it's a lot of money to as an outlay for a, a crap game. Mm. And John's in, in the opinion that basically, because now, as you said, anyone with a PC can make a game and you can publish it yourself. And there's that many games coming out now that are substandard. Do you think that's affecting the games industry? Not really. Um, I think that... I mean, there are a lot of a lot of bad games out there. I think there've always been a lot of bad games out there as well. To be fair, I mean, I'd, certainly um, if you look at the early days of THQ and some of the quality of some of the games they they put out initially, and they were they were you know, spending also huge amounts of money on a, on the cartridges. I mean, I'm going back to the early '90s here. I think uh, Home Alone, for example, is, is an example. I think I seem to remember. Um, so I don't think necessarily that there weren't bad games back then because there were, but. I, I don't know. To me, the way I see it is, you know, anyone can get a pen and paper or a paintbrush and paper and, and draw, uh, you know, and paint a, a picture. And the majority of people that do that are going to do pretty crappy paintings because not everyone's got the skills to do it. But I don't think it's bad that anyone can do it because so maybe you get some talent that emerges that wouldn't otherwise emerge. So the fact that more people can make games, yeah, it does mean there's going to be lower lower you know the barrier to entry is lower therefore more people can do it therefore there's going to be more bad games as people maybe who just aren't, haven't got you know haven't got the ability to do it or maybe haven't got the uh, you know the, the quality control but there will be the good the good guys that come through and I thought I'd, I'd rather have more games and and discover more talent than than keep it like it was where it was very much a bit of an exclusive club and if you didn't have money to start with then uh Certainly on console, anyway, you just basically couldn't make any games. Yeah, because like John was saying that he, he thought that, especially for like mobile development, mm. it should be like a, a like a gold tier, where if you're proud of your game, if you pay a premium, say like a thousand dollars, it goes into that gold standard. You know, so basically the big publishers and people with the money can go straight into a, a a separate section that's not just jumped in with all the other games? Or do you think that's going a bit too far? I think it's going too far. I mean, at the end of the day, the games that are really bad don't tend to get downloaded and therefore don't tend to get noticed. Um, I mean, to a certain extent, what you've just suggested there is kind of happening already on mobile because you know to, to to advertise yourself and to get users to download your game or even be aware of your game you know costs thousands of dollars a month and if you're just uh, an indie in your bedroom or if you're someone who's doing it for a laugh and maybe doesn't really have the same you know passion or commitment as a professional game developer you're not going to have that money to, to advertise your game so no one's going to even know your game exists. So to a certain extent, people are paying that now to get noticed. And I'm not sure, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, 
I don't think there's any need for any kind of gold tier or membership. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, the only problem that I'm having at the moment, I don't know if Steam relaxed their sort of, like, submission sort of, like, standards are about a year or two ago because I noticed all of a sudden there was just, like, in one day, like, 20, like, mobile phone, like, ports. Mm. And now it's just mobile phone games on Steam every single day, hundreds of them. Right. You know what I mean? And I actually played a racing game. I mean, it was on, I think it was in the sale for, like, 50p, so I'm not, you know, it's not as if it was, like, 50 quid. But the game itself was only a third of the screen, and the bottom part of the screen actually had the virtual button still on the screen. And you couldn't use, my, like, my Xbox pad. It wasn't compatible. You had to use the keyboard. Right. And to me, I think that's just unacceptable. You know, if you're going to release something for a platform, you should put a bit of work in to get it optimised for that platform. Yeah, well, I agree. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not too familiar with that, to be honest. But I think uh, it's uh, the alternatives are you start putting more restrictions down and less games there. And, you know, there's also a balance, there's also a balance to, to be made. But, um, but yeah, I... I I'm of the opinion that, that, that bad games won't get downloaded or will get bad reviews and then will sink into obscurity. Just in the same way bad movies get pulled off the cinema after one week or go straight to video. Um, I'm not sure we should have any kind of, uh, you know, bald choosing what comes out and what doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky subject. I mean, the only thing I will say with, like, movies and cinemas is, like, you get your cinema release, then it comes, like, Blu-ray, DVD, then home, TVs, and... Mm. So you actually get, like, four or five attempts to get an audience, whereas normally with games, you get your first week or two, and if you haven't hit it, you're pretty screwed. That's true, although I think these days, because you can... Do a game on PC and then port it to mobile, and then port it to or iPhone, and then port it to Android, and then potentially uh, do special versions for you know other platforms. It's, it's, there are more ways of uh, getting your game out there. So it's not, I don't think it's quite as hit driven as it used to be, but I, yeah, I do agree that is the. Uh, I mean, obviously, movies and TV shows have a, a lot of more, a lot more merchandising opportunities as well with things like you know the old lunch boxes and toys and T-shirts and whatever. I don't know. There's some games that do that. I mean, I've just, there are a few. There are a few, but not certainly not as many as. Um, we've just been sent some little worms plushies, right? So I've got some little pink squidgy things that sit behind me now. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a crazy place that we're living in now. I think Twitter and the social networks have taken over. You know, a lot of people are too scared to say. Like, what they think, because there's that many people... I mean, look at the Mass Effect 3 ending. Mm-hmm. You know, like, all these, like... Or even when people report that No Man's Sky is going to be delayed. You know, there's, like, death threats. Yeah. It's... 
totally crazy, totally unacceptable. And people just use these social networks without... Well, uh, let's just say they must have a brain to set it up. But they just don't know how to use it. But Anyway, let's get back to your new game, Auto mm. Warriors. So I will say, the game looks really nice and detailed. It's... I'd have a guess you'd call it like a, a top-down sort of view. Yeah, I get it. It's a bird's-eye view, yeah. Yeah, and it's in full 3D, so that's good. And so how exactly are you monetizing? Is it basically to buy better weapons quicker? Uh, well, you know, thing that, in the game there's two different currencies, two different main currencies, which is cash and gold. And you can buy... Uh, items, whether that's cars or weapons or armor, uh, that kind of stuff, with cash, and you can also upgrade those armor, those uh, those items with cash as well. And then for gold, you can then do things like, for example, when you're performing upgrades, you can spend your gold to accelerate them. Um, we're certainly not as, um, I mean, some games have upgrades that can take weeks or certainly days. Uh, we've got nothing like that. So if you are patient, you don't have to spend your gold at all. Um, and we've got crew members you can hire and help you out. So for example, there's a mechanic who you can hire for like, I think it's like 45 gold or something. And he instantly repairs your car after a battle. So you don't have to pay any cash to repair your armor. Um, and so, and, but the thing is, you're winning cash and gold by complete, competing in winning events and also how you perform in uh, the PvP mode against other players. So, uh, um, the way we monetize basically is that if you're the kind of player that wants to have a bit more cash and a bit more gold to maybe get through the game, you know, to maybe to, to have your repairs and upgrades happen a little bit quicker, or maybe to be able to afford a few more weapons without grinding through the game a bit, then you can uh, you can you can buy some of the currency. Um, but again, like I say, it's, we've we've done it in a way. I mean, obviously, you know, me and my team we're from you know the console world, and you know we're very sensitive to not making a game that tries to rinse you of your money at every opportunity. So I think you know I hope I hope that people play it will be um, you know suitably happy with the fact that we've been thoughtful with the way we've implemented that kind of thing and you know I know a lot of players who, who spend money in the game doing so because they're just enjoying playing it and they want to maybe hire more crew members or whatever but it's certainly not something that we, we're forcing on players I mean there's, there's very much no, no concept of a brick wall that players are going to run into where they just can't proceed or compete without spending money yeah, um, I mean, like, I will be putting in a, a bit more time with the game, mm. and, I mean, as I say, today's a bad day, um, I'll be recording our um, normal sort of, like, podcast later on tonight, and it's annoying because I'm from the UK, another team member's from, like, the east coast of America, and the other one's from New Zealand, so I record at 11 o'clock at night, so it's 6 o'clock in America and 10 o'clock in the morning in New Zealand. Mm. So we just completely split all over. So they're having breakfast and you're drunk. That sounds pretty, 
pretty fun. It might help the podcast, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, have you had any early data of how the game's sort of doing, or is it still too early to sort of say? Um, Well, it's early days, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the weekend. I think, you know, we'll we'll be looking at things at the start of next week and seeing how we've done, you know, with our first full weekend behind us. Uh, The initial reaction from people seems to be really positive. I'm um, pretty pleased with, you know, the response we're getting and the downloads we're getting and people seem to be enjoying the game. So that's why we make games to have, you know, to, 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 to create something that's going to give people a fun time. So, yeah, we'll see how it all goes. But so far, uh, it's all looking promising. I mean, I will say, um, I know the, like, the iTunes reviews. Mm. I mean, how hard do you find to actually get people to leave reviews on on games? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I mean, we've got a prompt in the game that asks if you're enjoying the game, and if you are, we try and encourage you to go and put a review on there. But obviously, I think with a lot of these things, and it's the same with product reviews on Amazon and all these kind of stuff, quite often the people that will... The people that are more likely to leave reviews are the people that aren't happy. So you end up with a lot of uh, lower stars, but um, I don't know, I think people are getting good at it, and, you know, we've got, um, you know, we haven't got a huge amount of reviews so far, but we've got a lot of five stars so far, but, you know, at the end of the day, if people like it, then it'd be great if they could leave a review, and we'd love that, but obviously, you know, if they don't, well, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah, because we've even gone to the trouble of giving away, like, an eight-inch Windows 10 tablet just to try and get mm. ten reviews you know, on the iTunes, on the podcast. Right. And, I mean, on one of our podcasts, I think we've got nine reviews, and on the other one, we've got about five. And I've said once we get to ten on each, I'll give away, like, a £400 tablet. Right. And I'm getting loads of retweets, but it's like, it takes three seconds just to load up, click on it, and just put just something random on. We don't, I've not said it has to be five stars, I've just said just leave a review. You know, just because, I mean, I don't know, well, I guess you'll know, but basically the more reviews you get, the better you get placed in searches. Well, I mean, they, they're very secretive about exactly what formula they use when it comes to working out placements and search results. So it, it, I'm sure it does have a bearing, but um, exactly how much of a bearing, I think... Uh, they keep close to their chest. Well, I mean, like, I can say for a fact, when we had... Because you have to have, a, I think it's at least five reviews before it gets shown as an average. Mm. Before we had five reviews, we were getting about 200 downloads a week. And once we got up to five and six, we're now at about 10,000. Right. You know, so th- there's got to be something in it. Oh, yeah, it definitely can you know. Like, definitely. So, yeah, so please rate the Auto Warriors game and rate our podcast. It all helps. and It does. Yeah. It does, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it helps with our sponsorship, yeah. <laughs> so, I will say I wish you the best of luck with the game. Thank and you. Although I've only just played the tutorial, from what I have played, 
it's actually strange to say, but it actually feels like a real game. Yeah, it's good to hear. A few people have said similar, so hopefully, um, you know, it's it's not just a game where you tap the screen and swipe the screen. There's an actual, there's actually gameplay there, so hopefully, people will enjoy that. Yeah, and I mean, just before like I let you go, I'm just wondering with this day and age where streamers are basically the trendsetters where if one of the big ones picks up a cheap indie game on Steam, it can make that game massive sure. overnight. How hard is it for you guys to try to get like iPhone games to streamers and well, you know, technology-wise? Yeah, the big ones charge, um, but also they would also obviously stumble across things themselves. So it's not something we've really pushed too hard, to be honest. I mean, we, we made, we, we've made people aware of it, but um, you, you hope that people are going to play it and, and enjoy it and want to stream it. Um, when you get a bit further into the game, one of the things you're going to see is our replay system. And because the game's under physics, uh, you can have quite a bit of fun throwing the car about and having all kinds of stunts and it's quite emergent the way that uh, you know you can make things happen. Like if you drop a couple of mines down on each other and then maybe shoot a car so it goes into them and then they blow up in the air and the shockwave blows you up in the air. And you can share those videos on every play after you've watched the uh, watched it in game. And so I'm hoping that some you know YouTubers or streaming uh, some streamers might uh, you know pick up the game and have some fun with it and, and do that. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, it, it, like you say, it can really massively change, you know, the awareness that people have of the game. And, um, I mean, it's certainly something that was in our minds when we were doing the physics side of things was to try and keep things varied. So it wasn't just the same every time and it was emergent and you could have some situations that maybe looked a little bit funny and a little bit larger than life and just, you know, it makes, um, it makes people want to share it more, and obviously the more people share it, the more exposure we get, and hopefully the more downloads we get. So, you know, it all it all feeds into each other. Yeah, it's... I mean, we're getting to the point now where, I mean, I think people have said, when your game's, like, featured on the iTunes, like, the new games, people mm. just download them. But we're getting now where even games featured aren't really getting that many downloads. It's certainly more challenging now than it was a year or two years ago, definitely. Yeah, it's... Cause I mean, like, we were doing a, a Kickstarter, and mm. I, I looked into talking with some companies who, you know, have, like, thousands of social media things and just to put out press releases. I think they were asking for about four or $500 mm-hmm. just to do, like, a press release. And they say, well... We're not even asking for that much from the Kickstarter. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. So, Nick, I will say thank you for coming on. No problem. I completely forgot what I was going to say then. <laughs> but, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I always love talking to people from, especially when they've been in the industry a while, just to get their opinions on stuff as things change. Because it's a very fluctuating business. Always changing, yeah. Yeah. And again, I really do wish you the best of luck with the game. It looks stunning. Uh, and <clears throat> as I say, 
it's not just a tap 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 game. It actually feels like a fully full featured game. So I will get more time on that today, and then I'll do my proper podcast <laughs> Great. later on tonight. And hopefully this will be up this Sunday. So thank you. Uh, uh, do you want to just mention any Twitters or how people can get hold of the game? Uh, well, yeah, it's available on the App Store right now globally, pretty much everywhere, so you can go do that. Um, we've got our website, autowarriorsgame.com, for details and videos, and we've got some comics on there and all kinds of stuff like that. And um, our Twitter, I believe, is at autowarriors. And so, yeah, but basically right now, this week, if people are listening to the podcast this week, if they go to the App Store then in most countries we're on the front page as one of Apple's uh, new games that they love. So we shouldn't be too hard to find. So thank you again, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. And goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Hey guys, Justin here. I just wanted to say that I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you a lot. Yes, you in particular, in that way. And I wanted to say, I think you're great. I've always said that about you. And... I was wondering, if you think we're great, if you could give us a quick rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It would really, really help us out in that, you know, podcasty sort of way. And if you're feeling particularly festive, perhaps even a little saucy, maybe stop by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash O-U-G and see if you can't slip a few bucks our way. After all, every little penny or whatever space money they use in Europe helps out the show. Thanks for listening. OUG Gaming will always be free, but with your support, we can always move forward and always be better.